Today on Peeling the Onion podcast, we have Lena DeGloma, who is an amazing herbalist, and we will be talking about spring kitchen hacks and herbal medicine. The best defense is a good offense, so how you can up your long game. It is a long game, Cheryl. And Lena is such a good friend. And I'm so excited to have her here today. She has done so much work with a range of clients from being trained as a doula to to an a published herbalist into a, a mama of a four-year-old. She is the founder and director of Red Moon Wellness in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is a storefront space basically that she manages and runs um, for massage and all sorts of services. But she also is a clinical herbalist that sees clients wherever they are. So she has a virtual practice and she began studying herbs 15 years ago and now is a part-time faculty member at the Arborvitae School of Traditional Herbalism in Brooklyn and is also part-time at Pacific College of Health and Science in Manhattan. And so we are so excited to have her here. You guys are going to be in for a treat. She gives us such a beautiful rundown of really simple ways to look at what allergies um, are signaling about our deeper responses from our sweet little systems. We need to be paying attention to them. They're just signals. So all that being said, guys, welcome back to another episode of Peeling the Onion. Maybe present Lena DeGloma. Welcome to Peeling the Onion podcast with Cheryl Passwater and Nancy Campbell. Join us in a range of experts as we explore the layers of physical, mental, and spiritual health and talk through ideas for how we can support your wellness journey. Let's jump in and peel the onion. Cheryl, it's spring. Spring has sprung. The flowers are budding. The birds are singing. And pollen in Georgia is driving me out of my mind. What do I do? Oh, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, We have a pollen storm as well in Virginia, along with the mold and (laughs) all the other uh, fun, fun things that um, are happening. But you know, the the good news is before you reach for the Benadryl and all the sort of pharmaceuticals, and while those things can be helpful, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that we can do through herbalism and alternative medicine to help with our spring and seasonal allergies. Well, I'm really glad you said that because I have a good friend. Her name is Lena DeGloma and she's an ace in the herbalism world. And I am thrilled to introduce her on this podcast. She has come up a lot, actually, as you and I have evolved through this podcast and thought a lot about her and her expertise and her wisdom and all of of the things (laughs) that she's so great at. So Lena, welcome to Peeling the Onion. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. So you and I have known each other for many, many moons. Our husbands actually knew each other in the heyday of New Brunswick, New Jersey at Rutgers. Like the early nineties. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, and then, so here we are, we have babies far apart in age from each other and lived as neighbors in Park Slope, Brooklyn together. And so it's wonderful to have you here. And we brought you here because you are such a strong herbalist. That is, that's your practice. You're, you're also trained as a doula and a massage therapist. And so through, through our intro, people have learned more about you and and in the show notes, we'll have links to find you, but will you tell us like, how, how did you get to this point? Why herbalism? Why are you an herbalist? 
Mm, yeah. Well, great question. I, you know, I think that I have always just been interested in the way the body works mm. and I've always been interested in the natural world. And I think in many ways, the connections between the natural world and the body. And so herbalism at its core, and this is herbalism across cultures and across history has always kind of seen the body as a microcosm of the rest of the natural world. And there's really a connection between the plants and, uh, you know, we've evolved for a long time as have the plants sort of alongside each other. And so some of the same things our body needs are things that plants create, right? So just as an example, we go out into the sun and UV radiation can create damage. And guess what? Plants are sitting out in the sun all day long mm-hmm. and they create these little antioxidants to protect themselves from UV damage. And then we can eat them and get some of that protection, right? That's just like one really like simple, basic example of like how we've, we've kind of evolved in these same elements. And, yeah. you know, we, we can kind of feed off each other in different ways and just sort of the diversity of plant life and, and, you know, just the diversity of uh, sort of our world and the way our bodies work. And yeah, so that's just, I don't know, one little piece of it. There's, there's so many reasons that, that mm-hmm. I've gotten into it, but I think I always kind of had that fascination on a deeper level. And then I've just loved working with people and helping people in so many different ways. So I just think that like one-on-one clinical work. So everything from the hands-on body work I do to the work I've done over the years, attending births, like, and, you know, just an especially strong love through pregnancy and postpartum and just that whole transformation that happens. And to be able to work with people in that time where, you know, just seeing the damage that pharmaceutical drugs have done over history, they've also saved lives and done amazing things, but there's also been, you know, a long history, especially when you look at pregnancy of pregnant people getting told, oh, sure, this is safe. Go ahead and take this. And then, you know, sometimes it takes a generation later to realize the damage from things like DES, DES daughters and all. I mean, you know, there's so many things. And so I just think the more we can stick with what, you know, what has been known for, you know, for millennia, the better. And, you know, there's a time and a place for other things, but I love to support people in figuring out how to do that and getting things that are accessible, things that are local when possible, and just and just supporting people and figuring that out so we can kind of reduce our dependence on some of these industries that are otherwise really damaging. Yeah, thank you. That. That's it makes a ton of sense. They're such little wise little beings as plants. And I, I want to just ask a question actually related to this pot, like looping us all around in this podcast, because the theme of it is right, peeling the onion. We're getting down to the root cause. And oftentimes we're all just seeing signs of our own, you know, illness or malaise or wounds, wound care to, you know, stuff that happens to us personally as practitioners or or even before we became a practitioner that led us to this place. And as I was curious, what did, did you have a moment in your, like, before you officially became an herbalist, uh, before you, where you really depended on plants and Mm. herbs that you would share with us? Yeah, let's see. That's a good question. I'm trying to think now. It's something I haven't thought back about a lot. If I had that moment, like sort of before I knew plants and before I was an herbalist, you know, I don't, I don't know if this exactly counts toward it, but I think the thing that really like inspired me back from an early age is that my mother grew up in rural Canada mm-hmm. and I spent all my summers and winters too during breaks going up to Canada to very rural Canada, Eastern Canada in New Brunswick. 
And, you know, my grandparents, you know, lived on this just rural land and there was farmland and my great grandparents had a farm there and they were growing things. And, you know, we were just, I spent so much time in childhood, just kind of in that natural world and learning about different plants that we, you know, I just have memories of just kind of picking plants and, and, you know, learning things that my grandparents might've just used to, you know, if there was, you know, if I got a bee sting as a kid, something they might've put on it or something. And just, so it just, there was something about that, that I think probably resonated with me from an early age. I don't know if there was like any one moment where I had like a health crisis and then I turned to this and that was kind of the thing that got me into it. So, yeah. 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 Thank you. I just thought, I thought I would ask, we, it it comes up a lot, you know, how we get here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, like, did you have a specific herb that was like your gateway herb? Mm. Like for me, it was stinging nettles. Like Uh once I discovered nettles, it was like my gateway (laughs) to like herbal medicine. Yeah. No, nettles is such a fun one. That was definitely kind of an early love. In fact, like one of um, earlier in my kind of like study and career as an herbalist, I was a part of a little group of herbalists in here in Brooklyn. This was like I don't know, at least 13 or 14 years ago, kind of early in my study. And, and, and our sort of name for ourselves was the nettle patch. And that was our little group of herbalists that would meet and do various plant things. So yeah, I always have a special love for nettles and yeah, you know, so my initial training in herbalism, I was, I I had moved to not long after I graduated my undergraduate degree, I moved um, to Costa Rica. I just, I bought a one-way ticket to Costa Rica. I didn't know quite when I was coming back. But I just had this like very sudden and strong inspiration that I needed to be just like living on the land somewhere and outdoors. And at this time it was, it was New Jersey and it was the middle of winter. And I was like, where can I go that I can just be outside? I just was like envisioning myself like living in a tent and being outside. And that's kind of why I ended up in Costa Rica. And I did, did live in a tent for, you know, for quite a while, for several months. And I was, I ended up on this herb farm and that was kind of where it started and the 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 owner of this farm this he was actually a both herbalist massage therapist and naturopathic doctor who was originally from the US and had moved to Costa Rica at this point over 40 years ago he moved there you know married a Costa Rica woman raised his kids there and just really lived out the rest of his life i mean he's got to be in his 70s at this point and anyway i so i lived on his farm and started taking you know like you know, slept in a tent, lived on his farm and was taking classes with him and learning herbs. And so, you know, one of the herbs that, well, there were, there were sort of three particular, there was all kinds of herbs growing on that land there, but there was sort of his very classic formula. So I guess maybe I'll say three herbs that I guess you could consider them kind of gateway herbs there because they were just the, the sort of three loves and the three things that I did a lot of harvesting and processing of at the time. And that was his, his formula was ginger, turmeric, and powder arco bark. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a lovely formula. And they find like, it was just one of those ones where, you know, when you learn, you know, it's like now, okay, I have, you know, a dispensary I use and we have hundreds of different herbs to choose from, but there's also sometimes being that herbalist where you're like, here, I'm on this land here's what's local. How many things can I do with these few herbs? Right. And like some of the best traditional herbalists on the land sometimes only worked with like 10 or 12 herbs. And that was like their whole medicine cabinet. And it's like, you could do everything with that. So it was really kind of amazing and and beautiful. But anyway, those three herbs were really wonderful. I did a lot of harvesting. 
My hands were very often like orange yellow from all of the processing, (laughs) the turmeric. I mean, we truly were like harvesting, you know, like wheelbarrows full of turmeric, bringing it down, bringing it into their medicine lab. They had a big solar herb dryer. So we'd be slicing it into thin slices, laying it out on like big kind of sheets to go into the solar dryer. And so, yeah, so it was the ginger, the turmeric, so the two roots, and then the bark, the powder arco bark. And, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of work with that, making them into teas as well as tincturing them with some of the local, just the local distilled alcohol that was made. And we'd use that to tincture it. And yeah, so those were certainly three kind of, kind of gateway herbs for me. Of course, in the years since we've seen turmeric, you know, certain herbs kind of like to like blow up in sudden popularity, which is always interesting to see. And of course, turmeric is one of those ones. And, you know, I mean, like rightfully so, I give it a lot of credit. It's a really versatile herb that can do a lot of really amazing things. And so that was definitely an, an, an early love as far as herbs go. I love that you've really honed in though, like you don't have to have a lot, right? It's really easy to get into this sort of like hoarding mentality or like, you know, something of that nature where you think you have to have all this stuff or it has to be really fancy that we have to keep like, super leveling up, like what we're using, but you know, it's, you know, one of my favorite things is, you know, it's like just going into my backyard and it's full of chickweed mm-hmm. and grabbing a bunch of a couple handfuls of chickweed and throwing it into a salad, you know, or that again, the turmeric things that are just like easy or ginger that are easily accessible, you know? And so it just really goes to show how, you know, simply we can bring herbalism into our day-to-day lives. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think given the ways that, like I was saying about herbs starting to become trendy here and there, unfortunately you can get people that are looking for like the next it herb and the next, you know, this one, Oh, that this is passe. We need this more exotic one. And it's like, no, that thing right in our backyard is still just as good. And so for me kind of sticking with certain mainstays, like turmeric is still turmeric. It doesn't matter if kind of social media interest in it came and went, or if it never came or whatever that is, like, it's still, it's still great. And I think, you know, people sometimes get excited about some herb that seems exotic or different, but you know, the plantain that's like growing out in the yard, right. Talking about plantain leaf is amazing and can do so many good things. It's such an incredible herb. And so I just, you know, so much of what we just have local can do so much. So Absolutely. And it's a good reminder to like diversify, right? I always tell like my, my, even my fermentation students, I'm like, make lots of different kinds of things using Mm -hmm. what's in season, using what's around you. Don't feel like you have to over, you know, overdo one thing or over harvest a certain herb or other, right? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I was just say, well, our body just craves that diversity, right? Anyway, I mean, that's where we get it. We need all the different elements, you know, fill your plate full of rainbow colored foods, right? We could talk about it from that perspective of just variety yeah. is the spice of life. Yeah, yeah. Diversity of constituents, diversity of sources, right? So we don't get stuck on, you know, I think of when I think of like diversity within whether it's, and this is sort of the continuum of like food to herbs, right? Because there is definitely a continuum there. And some herbs, I kind of think a little more, they're a little closer to food. Some herbs are a little closer to a drug and everywhere in between. And, you know, when you're thinking about diversity, you're thinking about diversity of the good things that you want, but you're also thinking about not accumulating the potential for bad things. And that could be contaminants in soil from a certain source that could be contaminants from some processing from some kind of source. And this is true with any foods that we get 
or any other things. And so on the one hand, we want to spread out to get the variety of the different kind of phytochemicals and whether that's like vitamins or minerals or whether that's secondary plant chemicals that, you know, act more medicinally, but then also to really like spread out and reduce the amount of kind of any one source of something we might be getting. That's, that's not so great for us. I love that. I love that so much. Well, you know, where's that, you know, I think a great place to always start is in the kitchen. So can you tell us more about like herbs that you think are fantastic to have in our kitchens, things that you know, we'll target allergies because that is part of our uh, episode today. How do we get that instant relief? Sure. Well, yeah. Instant relief. That's always the tricky part. Like instant relief is kind of, it can be kind of challenging. So, you know, there are some herbs that are a little bit better to some extent for some quicker relief. And, you know, maybe I'll mention a couple of just like really simple, straightforward thing. You know, I know maybe sometimes the goal is to be like, well, what things might people have instead of naming some kind of herb that you kind of need to be a little more of a, have some degree of expertise to know how to use safely or could have medication interactions. Cause there are certainly herbs that I will formulate to people that are custom that I, you know, but I'm going to make sure I know their health history. So thinking about some things that are really kind of straightforward and basic that, you know, often people might have around, and then maybe I'll dig more into like, well, what is the background on some of this? Because in terms of like, well, what, how should we even be thinking about allergies? Because if we're starting only from like symptomatic relief, we're only going to go so far. Right. And it's like, there's pharmaceuticals that can bring symptomatic relief and frankly, are going to bring a probably more immediate and symptomatic relief than herbs are going to most of the time, because herbs are really going to work at let's really look holistically at what's happening underlying. And so it's the same thing I often tell clients with pain. I'm like, look, if you just like, there are herbs that are good for pain and that can support pain. But if you really just need like instantaneous, like significant pain relief, like an herb is never quite going to do what a drug is going to do for that. But if you actually want to stop the long-term like cycle of pain, the drugs are never going to do that. And it's like, it's going to take some time. So it's like, it's sort of the same thing with allergies is we've got to look at like what's underlying here. So you know, we could start to dig into that, but, you know, maybe if we just want to talk about a couple of like little remedies to get into that first, you know, some things people might have around, I was thinking about, you know, people always, I think the first thing people think is kind of like the runny nose and like, how are we dealing with that? Like allergic rhinitis. But I was thinking also about something also that can be really helpful for like more immediate relief people's eyes. Mm -hmm. And so just something really like simple and straightforward and just something probably most people have in their kitchen, chamomile tea bags, Hmm. put them in like you're steeping them and make sure, you know, let it cool a little, like you can put it into really hot to steep it for a moment and then pull it out. Make sure it gets like cool enough to the touch that you're not completely burning your skin and then pop them right on your eyes, like little mini eye compresses. They're like the perfect size and chamomile is so anti-inflammatory. You know, again, coming back to herbs, it's like so easy to take this one for granted. So anti-inflammatory. It's great. Also drinking for the, for the gastrointestinal tract for inflammation, gut inflammation is really good for gut healing. Um, and, but amazing just to put on the eyes and the convenience that it's already in a little bag is so nice. Right. I mean, certainly we can make compresses, we can wrap it in gauze, like we can do a whole process Or we can just kind of say like, well, what's the simple thing that's like right here that we're actually going to do? Because sometimes the best remedy is the one you're actually going to do. 
(laughs) Even if we might have come up with something a little more effective that was going to take a hundred steps that you're never going to do, or maybe you do it once, but you're never going to repeat it. And so those chamomile tea bags, like that's that little simple remedy that you you actually could do. It's so simple. And just laying there with eyes closed, let it kind of sit on there as a compress. Sometimes if I was um, recommending that someone, I would say, keep that little cup of hot water by you because after not too long, that's going to cool down. It's nice to stay both warm and moist and you can put one on each eye and then you could put a warm, moist cloth right over top to keep it moist or even just a dry cloth over top. But you can also keep that cup of hot water, like almost like the cup of tea right next to it. And then after like five minutes or however long it starts to cool, just pop it off, just dip it back in to warm it back up and then put it back on. So you can like keep kind of, you know, changing it out with a warm one and like at least 20 solid minutes of like soaking on there, you know, with eyes closed and just letting that, you know, it's those people who wake up and their eyes are like crusted over in the morning. So, right. Like I have some clients complain of that. And so that can work wonders and that's great for kids too, right. If you get kids without, it's a very like kid safe thing. So it's nice Mm -hmm. to do if like a little kid needs some kind of relief. It's great even for just like a style, like a kid who gets like a sty in their eye or something else like that can also work well for all those things. Just the warmth, the moisture, again, the anti-inflammatory and, and really helpful. So that's just like one, like little one. Do you I don't even have crusty eyes and I just want to do that for fun. <laughs> it's like a little spot treatment. Yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. It's like puffiness and things like it. Yeah. Do you believe in like putting our head over a towel, like uh, on top of a pot of hot water, steaming us out eucalyptus or like, oil. yeah, I, I mean, some people, the, some like people yeah. have the essential oils at home right now and easy to, ex- yeah. Seems to be nice. Even someone, here's another like simple kitchen thing. Even someone who doesn't even have essential oils, dried thyme, culinary thyme. Oh, pop that in. That has natural essential oils that are still maintained in the dry. You know, it has essential oils because you can smell it. And that's the essential oils that you're smelling. And just pop some dried thyme in, you Mm. know, for someone who's like, oh, yeah, I don't really have eucalyptus and I don't have essential oils. Like, thyme is amazing as a decongestant when breathed in. It's yeah. so nice, you know, good also dry, you know, when someone really has a cold, this is maybe diverging from allergies, it can be good for allergies too, but they've also got a cough. I mean, allergies of course can trigger yeah, cough yeah. or that post-nasal drip. So if they're just getting like all that irritation, it is a good decongestant, especially when things feel like they're getting really stuck. So sometimes allergies, it's like, they're just dealing with like drip, 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 running, running, running. But yeah. if they kind of hit that point where they're like that stopped, but now they're just like clogged and dry and kind of like stuck, that's where like that steam and decongestant is going to be especially helpful. I wouldn't use it in the, just like, I'm just continuously dripping state. It's not necessarily going to make it worse, but it may not help so much at that point, but it's like when things are just stuck and congested and not moving. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend that all the time for when I have clients who you know, are having even asthma and you know bronchial like respiratory stuff, COVID, like you know all sorts of things. Like having them having them steam with those culinary herbs to help to get things moving. And I, I love the practices. It's like the, again, simple things that are right at our fingertips, easy to yeah. bring into our day to day. With the remedies at home, I think about the compress that we talked about. So topical, I think about steaming, you know, I think about heat. I also think about drinking things and consuming things, but also bathing in things. Can you pinpoint some of the drinking and bathing of things? Yeah, Um, sure. 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 Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I agree. Like all of the above, anything that's bringing moisture into those mucous membranes is going to be really helpful. So, you know, coming back to, you know, like, 
part of where, and, and, I'll, and I'll cycle back to this, but part of where some of these issues come from, if I just like take a moment to diverge into like, what is some of the underlying causes here? And also just a little bit of where sometimes this vicious cycle can come from Yeah, is if there is a breakdown in the integrity of the mucous membranes and just, or, and, or even of our skin. So I think of our skin, our mucous membranes, and that's anywhere from sort of like our mouth, our nostrils, our sinus, even our GI tract and our gut, our whole upper respiratory tract, any breakdown in that area is, you know, like, what's the purpose of this? It's like, that's why it's called our integumentary system, like that integrity, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I think about it is like, the integrity is critical to it, because this is the barrier from like the outside world to the inside world. And so all of this is lined, both like our skin, our mucous membranes, there's all of these immune cells that are lining all of these areas, because again, these are the barriers, these are these are sort of like the barriers to our body. And so our immune system is, you know, there's a certain degree of reactiveness that can start to kick into high gear when there's a breakdown in the integrity. And when that happens persistently and over a prolonged time, that's where people can get stuck in these allergic states. And that's where you see someone who's like, just keeps developing more and more allergies. Someone who's like, oh, they had one food allergy and now their gut has a lot, you know, disruption and breakdown. And I'm I'm coming to the gut because a lot of the sort of background that might be happening with somebody with allergies can come from gut integrity issues, right? It's not just integrity issues with the respiratory system or other areas. So like gut integrity can be a big part of that. Um, And of course, there's that crossover between food allergies, seasonal allergies. And again, speaking of our integumentary system in our skin, this is kind of all of our, what we call atopic conditions, which are our eczema, our Mm -hmm. asthma, and are otherwise kind of more like hay fever type allergies. And there's a strong association between all those conditions as well as, you know, autoimmune diseases and, you know, gut hyperpermeability and food allergies and food intolerances. So, so these things are all related. Like, it's like, we're kind of talking about seasonal allergies. It's like, oh, it's spring and seasonal allergies, but it's like, we can't totally talk about those things until we talk about what is like the bigger background and underlying aspect there, which is what is happening to our body's integrity and what is happening to our immune system when there's a breakdown in the barriers of our mucous membrane, of our skin, of our gut, which of course is also mucous membrane. And how does our immune system start reacting to those things? And of course, when we get into the gut, we dig into the microbiome. So like, you know, we can start to just trail it further and further. But all of that to say is that when you have a vicious cycle, because that's what this is, when you have the breakdown, you have more allergic sensitization happening when it's broken down, but it's also that allergic reaction that can cause things to sort of, you know, that chronic inflammation that then it breaks down further. So when you have a vicious cycle, the sort of at least one good news part of it is you can kind of get into it at any different place, Hmm. right? You don't, it's not like there's only one place you can stop it. Like anywhere you break a cycle, it helps. So when there's issues in the mucous membrane and the, the integrity, helping to seal that and close that breakdown is really helpful. So when somebody's got a lot of asthma and you see this with childhood, childhood asthma, like treat that so seriously in the sense of like, take care of it, close that, like close that off, cover it up. See like, think like, you know, really like thick barrier or, you know, essentially oil-based barriers, whether they're, you know, like whether you're thinking about shea butter or other things, whatever it can do to like seal. And these can be, you know, herbal based. You mentioned chickweed, of course, before Cheryl, right. in your yard. And it's like, chickweed salves are amazing for that. 
like whatever you can do to seal that off and prevent more from getting in, you can prevent a lot further allergic sensitization down the line. Mm -hmm. So Yep. Yeah. So like, that's huge. Yeah, it is. And, and in fact, just thinking about the, the chicken or, or the egg concept for how the membrane gets, gets penetrated and, and our sweet babies might just come into this world without much great gut and integrity. So no fault of their own, but we have to treat them and, and support them and, and build back their, their, their system so that their whole how when when we get this sort of adult onset of asthma adult onset of eczema well and we we just had an excellent skin episode which Mm. will have been released just before this one airs and so we we've talked a lot about that but when i hear you thinking about like how how do our mucous membranes in our sinus cavity and in our you know our our sort of respiratory system get penetrated. So I hear the chicken and the egg, right? I hear the gut connection. I, I get that. And we've talked a lot about the mucous membrane yeah. in the gut and, and then again, the skin. Can you, can you yeah. sure. that with the respiratory? Yeah. Skin? I mean, so yeah, I mean, there can definitely be a chicken and egg thing. I think of it as like less of even like sort of necessarily, which came first, but just that there's, it's like so multifactorial. So yes, some, like you said, like some of our babies kind of come into the world with this. And that's a lot of reasons there are known genetic SNPs and genetic predispositions that will allow more skin barrier integrity issues. And so people with eczema, like there are certain like genetic SNPs that have been identified, but then on top of that, there's all kinds of what, what are known as sort of atopic sensitizers or allergic sensitizers. And those are all kinds of things in our environment. Phthalates are a really common, they're chemicals like plasticizer chemicals, but phthalates are also used in fragrances. So they like right. really try to stay away from all these like artificial fragrances. So there's all these phthalates that gets on the skin. They're, they're, you know, allergic and atopic sensitizers. They're in, you know, a lot of our food packaging. So there's like all kinds of ways that these get to us. Um, Hold and on then, real quick though, Lena, yeah. sorry. Can you breathe in a phthalate and that can make disruptions in the it's respiratory sure, It's sure. It's possible, especially because they're in fragrances. Sure. So that's certainly possible, but I would say sometimes it's not even that complex. If we're just thinking about a breakdown in skin barrier, sometimes it's as simple as your system is really dry and the air is dry. And when your Mm -hmm. mucous membranes dry out, they crack and they break down. So all you have to think about is somebody with cracked dry lips. Right. Right. So we're just thinking this is like, you know, really like just kind of basic herbal concepts that again are across all herbal systems, whether sort of Western, Eastern, or various other systems look at dampness or dryness. And so we look at somebody's constitution, like, are they dry? So there can be dryness in constitution. There can be dryness in terms of phases of life cycle. And there can just be dryness in our, again, it's like our bodies can mirror our environment. So dryness in our environment can lead to dryness in our bodies. So wintertime and, you know, depending on, of course, which which geographic region you're in, but at least here in the Northeast, those like dry, dry winters can certainly be one, can be a huge reason. And so that, that can be one starting place is, is dryness. Yeah. Well, it's important because it's like, we're looking at the whole person and their unique body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, what is the whole picture? Like what is actually driving the thing? And, you know, it's like in functional medicine, you know, being, we're, we're always looking for that root cause. You know, I love that you really hit on the gut health factor because that is a ma- leaky gut, but in functional medicine, we always say like leaky gut, leaky everything. 
meaning <laughs> leaky skin, leaky sinuses, you know, mm-hmm. but this buildup of histamine. And also for some people, like their inability to have enough DAO enzyme and HMNT mm-hmm. enzymes, you know, and even again, poor methylation, having those SNPs and other factors really come into play. And so it's really fantastic. Um, hearing from the herbalist, you know, sort of perspective as well, that, you know, we really do have to address, well, why are you having all this testimony to begin with? Right. Yeah. Why are you having all these reactions? Sure. And yeah, I wanted to get a little to like, well, what can we do with that? And this is going back. This is kind of why I like diverge so far down here to answer that question that you asked me a little bit ago, Ansi, is I'm just going to bring it back to like a really like simple thing we can do that I've had a lot of clients get really great success with is calendula oil in the nostrils. Huh. I love having clients do this. And so I think there's, there's two pieces to this. And this is where I'm thinking about like keeping those membranes from being dried out. So right. what does oil do? It seals in moisture, mm-hmm. right? And, but we want the moisture to get in there first. So if somebody is like, you know, someone kind of wakes up in the morning or just in general, they're just incredibly dried out. Their nostrils just feel dry. You can't just like slather a little calendula oil in there. It's like you want to moisten it up first. So that's where these other things, and that could be anything from a steam mm-hmm. to even as simple as sometimes I tell clients, just make sure you've either just taken a shower or washed your face before you put it in. But otherwise, for some people, some saline rinses can be really helpful to rent, especially allergens. If we're thinking about even simple things like pollen, maybe the pollen wasn't the cause in the first place. If we think about chicken and egg, but at this point, things are broken down, it's getting in there and it's going to start sensitizing the area. So saline rinses, that could be anything from like neti pots to like just really basic and gentle, like pure saline spritzes, like mists to again, steams or other things get moisture in the area, but then immediately follow that moisture with some drops of calendula oil. So just like a pure calendula oil that could be, I mean, it's something that's not too hard to find and buy kind of out there in the market. It's also not hard to make yourself. If, you know, if any of your listeners really like to make their own products, dried calendula flowers, or if you can harvest fresh calendula flowers, you just have to be a little bit more aware and conscious when you're infusing fresh flowers into oil that moisture doesn't contaminate it. But really straightforward, if you're using dried flowers, just you know, popping them into a jar, pouring, it could be olive oil. I mean, typically olive oil or coconut oil would be kind of two of my favorites. Pour it into the jar till it completely covers all of the plant matter. And usually ideally you want to have at least an inch of just oil on top. So it's all well covered, close it and just put it in a sunny window or a nice warm spot, the warmth of the sun is just going to infuse it. And sometimes one of the reasons I love doing coconut oil with it is because the coconut oil is like clear to begin with. Mm. And you can just see how yellow it turns when you've already used olive oil. It's like, you don't always visually see how much of that beautiful calendula just infused into it. But when you use the coconut oil, it's like, you just watch it just magically turn this like vibrant, beautiful yellow. Mm. Um, and it's great. It's very antimicrobial. It's very, what we call vulnerary, which is like skin or tissue healing, healing to mucous membranes. Um, you know, just really moistening in terms of this, in the sense that it's going to seal in moisture with that oil. Um, and I'll just have people, you know, once, once it, if they've infused their own, obviously it's going to stay in that sunny window and get shaken up every day for, you know, ideally anywhere in the range of two to six weeks, depending on how, you know, how warm it is and a bunch of different factors. And when it's like really bright yellow, just strain it off really well through like, a, I, I use like a clean muslin sack and just with very clean hands, squeeze it out just to get all the good constituents mm-hmm. out of it. And then that'll, you know, that'll keep for as, you know, as long as an, as an oil will keep, and you can just get a dropper cap, put it in like a tincture type bottle, dropper cap, tip the head way back and put anywhere from like one to three drops per nostril with the head tipped way back. So it'll drip way up. People who get chronic sinus infections, I'll do this with them too. 
Sometimes there's mm-hmm. chronic sinusitis that's caused by dryness or caused by allergies or sometimes caused by uh, like a chronic fungal thing or chronic bacterial thing. Like any of these things can kind of cross over with allergies. And I find that can get rid of it. The calendula is very antifungal. It's very antimicrobial, but it's also very healing. It's not, you know, it's, it's like, it's soothing to the tissue and healing to the tissue. And that oil just seals the moisture in. And I've had people get great success with it. I'll say do that at least once a day, maybe twice a day, depending. And always after kind of moistening with some kind of water steam saline or something, something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And, and it's amazing. I've had people who, you know, start doing that and they're like, wow, I used to just get, you know, a sinus infection like every month or so. And they start doing it and it's like, it's done. They're just, they're not getting it anymore. Cause it just, it helped with the integrity and yeah, it's amazing. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very excited. I actually have some calendula soaking in coconut oil downstairs. And <laughs> that's oh. been there for a little while. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Well, you'll have to yeah, report back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll Cheryl. experiment. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's awesome. Great. I know. So we, we were just thinking about this, Cheryl and I, about because you know we, Cheryl and I both, you know, met each other through and through the acupuncture world through a, a clinic that we all know and love in Brooklyn, and and so when we think and and I when I think about you know, Eastern medicine a lot. It's all, it's, it's treating, maybe treating an ailment right then and there sort of, you know, doing triage. And it's also sort of constantly preparing for the next and preventing the next phase. And so one thing I wanted to talk to you about on this was like, are we preparing? Should we just always be preparing throughout the year? Cause you know, what, what winds up happening Classically is like, you know, where I'm living now in Georgia, it's all of a sudden everything is slaughtered in yellow. We're now obliterated by all of it. We can barely breathe and we feel awful. But we probably my my hunch is telling me that I probably should have been preparing for that onslaught many months ago. So I, I want your take on this. Is this an a, like a year round game? Is this something we can do? Are, are we just playing triage? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's both. And this comes back to, you know, what I was getting at before about like really looking at like what's underlying the situation here. And so I think that, you know, if we on like a most surface level, think about allergies as, oh yeah, we're just reacting to pollen. Then we think, okay, well, let's take care of it when the pollen comes, but we're not just reacting to pollen. The question is, why are we, why is our immune system that is supposed to defend us against some kind of dangerous invader defending us against something completely benign like pollen? So that's what we want to step back and start to think about is allergies are a form of immune dysregulation. So right off the bat, we want to say, okay, there is dysregulation in our immune system. And this is quite common, right? Like there's clearly a continuum and a difference between like having seasonal allergies and having a severe autoimmune disease, right? Like there's, these are not the same thing, but they're, they're kind of in the same camp. They're on somewhat of a similar continuum. And then again, having bad allergies doesn't mean you're doomed to get some kind of terrible autoimmune disease, but it really means you want to look at like, well, what's going on with your immune system. And so, you know, if I'm working with and treating clients, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, when I'm doing a thorough clinical intake with them, I'm really looking at, you know, what, what systems in their body are working really well and what systems in their body really need particular support and kind of just having a little bit of like almost a mental checklist of like, well, you know, what areas, wow, there's a lot getting checked in that immune area and there's a lot going on there. 
and their immune systems overreacting to every you know allergy and every potential allergen and but yet they're also getting every cold and they're so it's like it's not really defending so it's like that's sort of that dysregulation it's not as simple as like you have a strong immune system or a weak immune system it's like is your immune system modulated pro- appropriately right so you know it comes back this is where we start to think about say inflammation right inflammation kind of gets a bad rap and we're like oh inflammation is bad no chronic inflammation that is stuck and always turned on as a problem mm, right yes but inflammation is actually a really critical without inflammation we would just not exist like we would just die like we yeah. need to have inflammation, right? Like our inflammatory yeah. response is very important, but we need to have balance there. And so what can we do to help, you know, our immune system be in a little bit more balance? So I think on the one hand, we want to we want to get at throughout the year, we want to think about supporting an, the normal functioning of our immune system. So like there's, you know, plenty of herbs that have kind of modulating effects on our immune system. And I could, you know, mention a few different ones, but there's, you know, herbs that have more of kind of an anti-allergic effect. And those are herbs that might be like, stabilize mast cells and help prevent. So that's where we think about more like kind of more potential immediate relief. Like, all right, if we do something that's going to stabilize mast cells and kind of bring, you know, nettles can be pretty good for some, you know, somewhere between, like I said, not a lot is good for absolute immediate relief, unless you're just talking about a drug. It's not a silver bullet effect, but herbs can be mast cell stabilizing. They can modulate, you know, cytokines. They can inhibit cytokines. They can have an anti-inflammatory effect. And, you know, some herbs that I would kind of put in some of that category would be um, nettles, even turmeric, like we were talking about before, can be great. It's not commonly thought of as an allergy herb per se, but it's very anti-inflammatory. And so it helps right. to modulate that kind of overreaction of the system. Even other herbs like echinacea, goldenrod is a really good one. That's like, you know, not often thought of that's great for the respiratory system. It's a good tonic for the respiratory system, but it also has some nice anti-allergic effects. So, so those are just like some good potential ones, but you know, really thinking about like normalizing and stabilizing the immune system through a lot of basic, I always like to talk about, you know, just the foundations of health. And it's like, what are those foundational things? And that's things like sleep, stress, our microbiome, like a lot of those really like basic kind of bottom line things are just critical to keep functioning all year round. Because right. here's the other thing seasonally, and this is the other kind of step back I want to take when we think about allergies, is that I really think of having allergic symptoms as like a tip of the iceberg thing where you have this cumulative effect. And so usually allergies, like you might be able to identify, oh, I'm allergic to this thing, but you, you're not necessarily like, you might not be really symptomatically allergic to that thing in its isolation. If a whole bunch of other inflammatory and allergic sensitizers were actually away and out of your system, it's like there's this cumulative effect and then there is the threshold. And it's like it's it's like your symptom threshold. So a lot of us might be just living just under the symptom threshold all year round and then all it takes is that extra pollen and you're over the threshold. So that to me is like the huge difference. It's like where is your threshold and what can you do to, re- to reduce how like some things you just can't control like the pollen count you can't control. You live right. in this environment, <laughs> but what are the things you can control? So that that pollen count isn't going to push you over the threshold of becoming symptomatic. Like that, I think, is the year round really key thing to be thinking about. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's like the best defense is a good offense. And, you know, it's like something I tell my own clients is, okay, you're somebody who notoriously has seasonal allergies. So for some of my clients and people who I know have high histamine in their bodies and we're working on their guts and we're doing these things like, 
I start them, you know, a month or so before allergy season. And I'm like, okay, let's start getting in the quercetin, you know, have apples and have onions in your food a little bit more. Maybe it's supplemental quercetin and starting them on nettles tea and, you know, various sort of components. And we start sort of getting their bodies ready. So when the, you know, for lack of a better word, the shit storm comes of pollen and all the things that their bodies can actually hopefully handle it a little bit more. They have a little bit of reserves build up, you know, and then again, we're addressing all that, you know, barrier function as well. So I love this. Yeah, exactly. So I think we can do all those things and that's like simple things too, like really like getting more sleep, like all those things we can do. Our body, our our immune function is like, it's part of our circadian rhythms and sleep helps our immune system to modulate itself. So these are just simple things that we can really keep in mind. If we're like, look, I'm just going to decide to commit to getting one more hour of sleep at night. Like that's a huge step. And that that's not going to just affect allergies. It's going to affect so many other parts of your life, but that alone can affect allergies. So to me, it's like we have the cumulative effect of all the negative things, but we actually need to work on building the cumulative effect of all of the good foundations because rarely can we just fix it with just one thing. You know, the drug can suppress the symptoms, but it's not going to fix it. It can certainly suppress it, you know, sometimes effectively, but again, it's just not going to get at, you know, at the root. I also think with the microbiome, the other thing when I was talking about the, the skin integrity is that the microbiome is, is also, it's a part of our defense layer, right? In our gut and in, in, in that other area. And when that is out of balance, it's not just that the defenses aren't there. It's that, you know, our, our, um, commensal bacteria, they communicate with our immune system and they right. remind it how to calm down. Right. Right. Yes. And yeah. so that's really critical. Like we need them there to communicate with our immune system. Like we have these immune cells that are like lining our GI tract and lining our respiratory tract and you know, our bacteria there, they communicate with it. And if things are out of balance, they're communicating that, Hey, there's a lot of bad stuff to react to out there. So be on guard. Right. And, and then start reacting to all kinds of things. And again, that's food allergens to respiratory allergens, you know, whether we're talking about asthma, hay fever, allergic rhinitis allergy, you know, any of these mucous membranes, like it's all, it's all kind of the same basic concept. And again, it's a cumulative effects. They all feed each other. So if we can bring down one area, we find the areas we can control and we like bring them down. We get allergenic foods that we know we're reacting to out of our diet And suddenly, you know, I mean, I see people who have like pet allergies and they're just, they're keep living with their pet. And I'm like, well, you know, you, your threshold, like you're, you're going to be so close to your threshold all the time. If you just manage that, that then that pollen is going to push you over the edge. And, you know, I'm not saying like get rid of your pets. I don't know, but for some people it's like, they're really, really allergic and, and it's really hard on them. So I think we have to like decide like, well, what are the things that we need to not have, you know, affecting us all the time. Yeah. I I had an A professor in nutrition school who would always say how grateful he was for his asthma. Not only did it remind him of like taking a deep breath was important and how important our breath is, but it was also a really good indicator. It was, it was the immune system waving the flag. If he, if he had an attack, right. That he was, you know, he, he maintained it. He kept it, at bay, but it was always that like, Hey, by the way, I know. And so when that little patch of eczema pops up on your elbow and, you know, when you get that little uh, of, you know, and, and, and the malaise from the, the seasonal allergies, it's, you know, you, you said that pollen was benign. Don't, 
say that to anyone in like South of Virginia. It is crazy. Everything's covered in it. It feels like a beast has come in and attacked us. <laughs> yes. Um, <it's> so- <laughs> Richmond is like the vector of pollen mold yeah. and yeah. all the, oh yeah, it's, it's real. Ooh. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so that being said, it, it's, you know, it is just, we can sit and complain and feel so victimized by all this stuff. But I think what you've really highlighted here is that like, if, you know, we are really going to be taking care of the core of our health, it's really just, Hey, this is, this is important. This inflammation is important. It's telling mm-hmm. me to a slow down, B get some sleep, C pay attention to what I'm eating. And I love, Lena, the way that you described how you take clients through the intake of like looking at different systems. And, you know, again, we have never on this podcast beat up allopathic medicine. We, we, we want to live in partnership Mm -hmm. and, you know, the the ENT, the ear, nose, and throat doctor may not be looking at what's going on with the rest of my immune system, right? And what's happening, you know, south of my neck. Mm-hmm. And so I really just want to reiterate for our listeners, it's like, you know, these seasonal allergies, the pet allergies, our kids' eczema outbreaks, like, you know, we're looking for the signals and the signs that help us start to peel back those layers. And you have described peeling back the onion, our our, our metaphor beautifully through what you've ta- shared today. So thank you. It's been um, so enlightening and a great reminder of like, hey, you know, we all, our bodies are always just trying to tell us, you know, Hey, by the way, I need, I need, I need some help over here with these little symptoms. And it's like not letting the bullies on the playground get you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was how I I like to explain it. Right. So thank you so much for being here. It was, I learned some cool, great new tips and things that I'm going to, you know, use in my, my own practice and probably for myself as well. I have to say, I have always said to myself, I'm going to take the nettle tea challenge and like do it for 30 days. And I've never done it, but I think it's time. It's it's, um, one thing before you go though, Lena, is there, we want to reiterate where people can find you. And do you, did you see clients remotely or are you only working with folks in, in Brooklyn? No, I do see clients remotely, especially since COVID. I've been, yeah. I'm actually um, solely doing that. I do, you know, own Red Moon Wellness in Brooklyn and we, you know, we do in-person body work and massage therapy. And so, you know, I do have an in-person center, but since the pandemic, I've been doing my herbal consultations with people remotely. Wonderful. So yeah, so I can work with people wherever, which is great. It's nice to to have that opportunity to be able to do that. And for yeah. anyone who's local, then yeah, massage therapy and body work, of course, here in Brooklyn as well. So yay. Well, yeah. thank you so much. You're you're a gift. All of your knowledge is such a gift. And thank you for doing what you're doing and the good work that Red Moon Wellness brings to to Brooklyn. And so oh. thank you, Lena, yeah. for, for hanging with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to chat about this stuff. I always love to. Yeah. So. Well, Okay, folks. Well, listen, it's an all year round game, folks. Keep listening to your body. Keep watching the signals and keep peeling back the onion. We'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. You have just finished another episode of Peeling the Onion podcast. Music is by Greg DeJesu. 
You can also stay in touch with us over Instagram at Peeling the Onion Podcast and on our website at PeelingTheOnionPodcast.com. We would love to receive your feedback on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Keep peeling back the onion.